Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast, the Hall of Fame edition with the classes of 2020 and 2021 being inducted into Canton, Ohio this weekend after the pandemic last year prevented the induction of the class of 2020. And on this week's podcast, we will be joined by a member of the class of 2021, the former Buccaneers and Denver Broncos safety, now general manager of the San Francisco 49ers, John Lynch, stops by with his look back at his career and a couple of interesting comments about the quarterbacking situation in San Francisco unfolding as we speak. Other interesting quarterbacking situations going on across the league as well. As we record this Tuesday morning, the Houston Texans are on the practice field, and guess what? Deshaun Watson is not with them. First time in pads this summer for the Texans, and Deshaun Watson not spotted out there. Now, we'll wait to see what the Texans say about this, but as I was told within the past few days, Deshaun Watson essentially has been turned into the NFL's highest paid scout team safety. Now, think about that for a moment. The NFL's highest paid scout team safety because the Texans don't want their former star quarterback to take snaps and risk getting hurt. And the former star quarterback for the Texans doesn't want to risk himself getting hurt while there are 22 pending civil lawsuits against him and the NFL is investigating him and the police are investigating him and he continues to maintain his innocence. As all this unfolds, the Texans have to practice. And so Deshaun Watson doesn't really practice, even though he's often out there at practice. And when he is at practice, again, that phrase again, I love it the NFL's highest paid scout team safety. We have clarity on the Aaron Rodgers situation. For now, the situation is tabled until next year. And really, everything that we talked about during the offseason was spot on, which Aaron Rodgers himself validated. I know a number of Packer fans are unhappy. They're saying that it was all created. I think Aaron Rodgers himself admitted he thought about playing somewhere else thought about retiring, upset about the Packers and their decisions. But we all can agree he basically recognized that his best opportunity was to come back this year to try to help the Packers compete for and win a Super Bowl. And then after the season, these talks will continue. The talks that we referred to the last few months, the ongoing talks about his ongoing unhappiness with the Packers organization, which he validated last week, That's tabled until next year, but it's not going away. It's still there. It'll be there. And it has to be there because of his cap number, because the Packers are going to have to make an allowance for a salary cap number that's scheduled to be over $46 million in 2022. And that's a number that they will have to adjust or move off of or trade away or whatever Aaron Rodgers would like them to do, because Aaron Rodgers will dictate where he spends 2022, whether that's in Green Bay another NFL team, or in retirement, doing whatever it is, hosting Jeopardy Jeopardy, or anything he so desires. And then, of course, the other quarterback situation of the week is Carson Wentz. Out five to 12 weeks with a bone injury in his foot, had surgery on Monday. And right now, the Texans' plan, despite people calling for the team to trade for Nick Foles or Marcus Mariota, is to stand pat. They're not planning on doing that as we tape this on Tuesday morning. They're planning to ride the 
former fourth-round pick Jacob Eason into the start of the season if Carson Wentz is not recovered. They have not given up hope that Carson Wentz will be ready for the regular season opener. Now, personally, I think it sounds a little bit ambitious. They say five to 12 weeks. He had the surgery on Monday. The season opens five weeks from Sunday. So that essentially gives him about six weeks. So again, they think he's got a chance to play in that game. We'll see whether or not that actually happens. Again, they're not giving up hope, but for now, no Nick Foles, no Marcus Mariota, no Gardner Minshew, no any other quarterback. It's Jacob Eason time in Indianapolis where the Colts have been snake bit by quarterback injuries and decisions from Andrew Luck retiring to Carson Wentz having a bone issue in his foot that required surgery. And of course, this is the weekend. It all gets underway with the 2020 and 2021 induction ceremonies in Canton, Ohio. And this class of 2021 is a great class. We've got all sorts of star players. We've got Alan Fanica, the former Steelers Pro Bowl guard. Calvin Johnson, the former Lions wide receiver. John Lynch, the former safety for the Bucks and Broncos, the guest on this week's podcast. We've got Charles Woodson, the great cornerback safety for the Raiders and Packers. Michigan, of course. Tom Flores, the former coach of the Raiders, Seahawks, and Bill Nunn, the former scout and personnel executive going in as a contributor, as well as Drew Pearson, the former wide receiver of the Dallas Cowboys. A great class upcoming this weekend. I just wanted to share a couple of things about what stands out about each. Alan Fanica was a man that made Pittsburgh's run game go. Nine times he was selected to the Pro Bowl, six times as an all-pro selection. He was key on Willie Parker's 75-yard touchdown run in the Super Bowl and just a great player. Calvin Johnson, just a monster. 6'5", 237, ran a 4'340", went to six Pro Bowls, led the league in receiving yards twice, and in 2012 came within 36 yards of becoming the first receiver in NFL history to finish a season with 2,000 yards. Never could win. It's a lot like Barry Sanders would be in Detroit His career never achieved from a team standpoint what it should have, unfortunately. And Calvin Johnson will be honored this week. Peyton Manning, the sheriff, of course, the former quarterback of the Colts and Broncos, a 14-time Pro Bowl selection, a seven-time All-Pro selection. So smart, so polished, and such a great pitching, such a great marketing maven. The guy was incredible, won a Super Bowl couple of Super Bowls, one in Indianapolis, one in Denver, really a model for what a quarterback should be. Charles Woodson. Now, again, as great as his career was, and it was unbelievable, nine Pro Bowls, a defensive rookie of the year, a defensive player of the year in 2009. Can you imagine how history would have been different if the tuck rule play when he sacked Tom Brady stood as many people thought it should have? It would have delayed the start of the Patriots' dynastic run And it would have helped the Raiders perhaps go on to a Super Bowl. Charles Woodson was unbelievable. Tom Flores, the coach of the Raiders and Seahawks, man who has four Super Bowl rings. Incredible to think about that. He and Mike Dicka are the only people in NFL history who have been Super Bowl winners as players, assistant coaches, and head coaches. Dick is in. Now Tom Flores will go in. And Bill Nunn, uh, a name that might not be familiar to many people, But he started his career with the Steelers as a part-time scout. 
He became the first evaluator in league history uh, to show an NFL franchise the long-term value of scouting players at black colleges and universities. Guy was incredible, ahead of his time, just a tremendous NFL contributor. And now Bill Nunn goes into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And of course, John Lynch, the man we mentioned, the man who was the guest on the podcast this week, played in Tampa from 1993 to 2003, played in Denver from 2004 to 2007. He was a nine-time Pro Bowl player, a two-time first-team All-Pro selection, a Super Bowl winner, a former great baseball prospect. And people will talk about that today. John Lynch will look back on what could have been a tremendous baseball career, as well as looking ahead to the season ahead. Without further ado, my friend, my colleague, the great John Lynch. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. I, I, I wanted to reach out with you going into the Hall of Fame, but with you going to Canton this week, what's going to be going through your mind when you arrive in Canton? I'll probably be thinking about our 49er roster. <laughs> um, you know, it's really been difficult, Adam. It's funny. I, I don't know, you know, if anyone's ever gone into the hall, like doing something like this, because it's, uh, you know, obviously you have a speech to give and things like that. And I really tried to plan ahead and have my speech written prior to coming to training camp, which I had done. But I didn't quite make the time limit. So I'm trying to pull back to get under that time limit. But it's just there's not enough hours in the day. And so I haven't slept much. So I may be in Canton with a lot of rings under my eyes because when I do catch a moment, I try to focus on the hall. But I, I really have to give a shout out to my wife, Linda. She's always, uh, you know, had my back, but she's really taken the, the lead on the Hall of Fame stuff because I said, Lynn, I, I got a job to do. And uh, and that's helped, uh, you know, bring a championship to this team. So Linda and a lot of a lot of really great people, our foundation director, Maggie Robinson, they've really taken this thing and run with it. You know, you raise a great point, right? And these jobs, and I think most jobs that consume people, it is very hard to escape. You don't escape that ever. So you are being the general manager of your team while you're going to Canton, Ohio to accept one of the great honors of your life, how hard will it be to disconnect from what is your job and what's so important to you? And can you even do that, John? Yeah, it's difficult. It, it, it certainly is. Um, fortunately, I've had a lot of encouragement from the people I work with. For instance, uh, Kyle has been tremendous. You know, early on, I said, Kyle, because he had asked, you know, when are you going back? Like, what, what's what's the weekend? He's been very excited about it. He, he's been very interested in it. 
And, uh, you know, I said, well, they want us to go back Thursday, but I can't do that with this job. I'll go back Saturday. And he said, no, you'll, you'll, you're going to go back Thursday. This is a big deal, man. And you need to experience it. And Jed York's been the same way. And so I think I've had tremendous support and encouragement from them that, that, um, that uh, I needed to take this whole thing in. And I think they're right. I finally relented. And, and so my mind might be elsewhere at times, but I think once I get there, um, you know, just what's happening will really settle in. And, and uh, I know it's a busy weekend. <laughs> they keep you going. So uh, I've got talented people back here, Adam Peters and, and our team, Rand Carthon, Ethan Waugh, that will be holding down the fort. Although a lot of them will be in Canton with me. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, John, let me, let me say this. Why do you think Kyle is taking such an interest in what's going on this weekend? Why is that? You know, I think he's just, Kyle, you know, I think everyone thinks a young hip coach. He's actually has so much interest in the history of the game. And mm-hmm. I, I think he just knows what a big deal this is. And uh, he's a good friend too. So, you know, I think he knows that, uh, um, you know, how overwhelmed I was. He happened to be down there the day that I found out that I was going in. Uh, they surprised, you know, Linda surprised me and uh, Jed and Kyle and, and a group, uh, you know, Prague and Al Guido and Adam Peters and their their spouses all came down to be a part of that celebration. So um, I, th- I think they feel a part of it. And uh, that's that's really cool. And uh, so, you know, believe it or not, Kyle's coming out. You know, he's, he's going to be there. Um, you know, he, he talked about his dad didn't miss when, when Terrell, when John, when all those guys went in. And so he's not about to do that. So, uh, he's going to coach Saturday morning, then head out, come to our party Saturday night, uh, and then get back with our team. (laughs) That's awesome. Now you waited eight years to get into the pro football Hall of Fame. You were a finalist every year since 2014. Does the fact that you had to wait so long, make it that much sweeter now, John? I think it does. I, I, you know, my, another experience like that is, uh, you know, when I, I joined the Buccaneers in 1993, I think we were the worst franchise in all of sports. And and so there was something sweeter when we ultimately won a world championship. I, I don't have much to measure it to, cause that's the only one that I won, but I have to believe because of the journey, what we went through, what we transformed it from, I think making this hall, it's been a long journey. And, uh, you know, a story that didn't make my speech because, um, you know, we only have 68 minutes and it's it's one of the coolest stories of all time. My dad was drafted by the uh, by the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 13th round in 1969. So I've always been a closet Steeler fan. Um, and, uh, you know, my dad had a short, brief career that really, really never took off, but that's the same draft class as Mean Joe Green. And so to me, my dad was Mean Joe Green. You know, my dad played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And so with that in mind, uh, you know, it was probably around 2000 and, uh, 2010, 11, 12, somewhere in there. Um, excuse me, probably a little later, because I was in like my fourth year of being a finalist for the Hall of Fame. And I was at the Super Bowl in Arizona. It's actually the hospital or the hotel the Renaissance in Glendale, where we went this year when our county kicked us out, we ended up taking residence. But I had an appearance and I was sitting in there. I just found out yet again that I hadn't made the hall, that I came close and, um, you know, was the final 15. And I see someone on my shoulder and I hear a familiar voice. And he said, John, uh, it's, it's Lynn Swan. I'd like to say hello. And I said, Lynn Swan, you don't have to introduce yourself. You know, here I am this this closet. But what he went on to tell me, he said, look, 
I know you're disappointed right now. I know what the news you got today, and I've been there many times, but here's what I want you to know. He said, I'm going to ask you one question. Do you know how many times I was a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame? I said, no. I said, no, sir. And he said, do you know that I'm in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? And I said, yes, sir. He goes, so that's my point, number one. But do you want to know the answer to how many times I was a finalist? I, he's, I, th- I think he said 14 times. And right then I said, man, if it took Lynn Swan, um, all I can do is sit back and just enjoy and be humbled by the process. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hear from so many people that once you're in, no one's going to ask, like, how many times did it take? And they're going to say he's a pro football Hall of Famer. And so uh, can't wait to experience. You know, I had a friend who was a doctor who didn't have the grades to get into medical school in the country. So he went to medical school out of the country in Mexico City and finished amongst the bottom part of his class in Mexico City. And he said to me, do you know what they call the guy who's not smart enough to go to medical school in the country and has to go to medical school in Mexico City where he still graduates at the bottom of the class? You know what they call that guy? Doctor. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the same kind of thing. John, HOFer, Hall of Fame for life. And, right. and that changed, Jeff. Like when, when David Baker showed up at my house and I knew it would be a big deal whenever it did happen. And I was confident that it would try to be as patient as possible. And there's nothing you could do anyhow. So you sit back. But when he said, John, I want to tell you, you're, you're the 350th member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And David is so good with stats and numbers. And he went on this whole litany of you know 29,000 people have ever played this game at the NFL level. And you're one of 350 to, to, to make it into Canton. And man, that hit me like a ton of bricks. And so um, it's, uh, it's something I'm very much looking forward to. You mentioned the speech. Is there anything else that you didn't get in there due to the time restrictions that you'd like to use right now, John? Here's a forum to thank anybody that didn't make the speech. Like you could thank me for bringing yeah. along your media career at NFL Network yeah. back in the day. Anybody you want, you know, yeah. that didn't make the speech, that didn't make the six day minutes. Anybody well, else that I'd got like, cut out of that speech? I'd like to thank Adam Schefter uh, <laughs> <laughs> for all his uh, his tutelage. Um you know, but seriously, I mean, there's so many people that were a part of this journey. And I, I think of people like my high school football coach, Rick Haynes. I think of my high school baseball coach, Frank Chambliss, brother of Chris Chambliss of the New York Yankees. Wow. He's wow. going to be there. They're both going to be there. They didn't wow. make my speech, but they hold a special place in my heart. Um, you know, the gentleman who trained me my whole life, uh, uh, Peter Gosky, I met him when I was 14 years old and not only did he become a trainer, He's an old Marine and he taught me to push through thresholds. I never thought I could. And he hardened me. And, and, you know, he used to tell me your mind, your mind or your body will never let you let you down. Your mind will, if you allow it to. And so I think of people like that, that contributed so much. I think of all the great coaches uh, that I've ever, I've ever had the privilege of, of playing under, um, you know, from Mike Tomlin to Monty Kiffin, uh, John Gruden, who helped helped me put a ring on my finger. Uh, Sam Weish, who drafted me. Uh, there's just so many of them. And I'm uh, Rod Marinelli, who wasn't my coach, but you know, Lovey Smith. Uh, other guys will make my speech, and you'll hear about it. But there's just so many people that are are partly responsible for this, and take a. I think they kind of go in with me, and so I'm thrilled to. Uh, you know, it's just a shame though that uh, you know this year I, I think they're doing the right thing, six to eight minutes, and at eight minutes I. Th- what they say is they're going like Academy Award style and taking you off the stage with music. So. Well, you know, you know, we have to thank for that. We have Steve Young's father to thank for that, John. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that back in the day? 
Yeah, I do. I remember a lot of the, the, the old presenter speeches where they would go longer than the, the actual uh, Hall of Famer. But I think now they do videos. So my son, Jake, uh, uh, you know, I can't wait to see that as well. So Jake, your son is your presenter for this. Yeah, yeah he's my presenter. And, and Herm Edwards is kind of a co-presenter. They allowed for that. And, uh, you know, I'll talk about Herm in my speech, as I will with Jake and, and why they were my presenters. Wow. Well, Herm's a great man. What a great man he is. He is. Right. He Biggest is. thing it took away from him, John, would be what? You know, uh, I'll, I'll speak to it, but I, I think he just, you know, Adam, the interesting thing, I ended up playing 15 years. People forget I didn't start really until my third year. And so not many Hall of Famers waited till their third year to become a full start, full time starter. And that shortly thereafter, Tony Dungy and Herm Edwards came in and they had the belief that not only could I start, that I could that I could be a, a Pro Bowl player, even a player who could end up in Canton. And they 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 had a role that they envisioned, kind of changing the safety position, um, all the things they were going to ask me to do. And so, and then they're tremendous men on top of it who taught me so much about life off the field. And and so so grateful for for uh, people like that who are influences both on and off the field. They bring you along. You turn into a Hall of Famer. When is the first time? during your 15 year NFL career that basically had you going to nine pro bowls. What was the first time you thought I might be able to make the pro football hall of fame one day? Yeah. When David Baker knocked on my door. <laughs> no, no, I, uh, yeah, it was before that. And that's in my speech. So I got to hold off on that okay. one. <laughs> You're not giving me that scoop, right? We're not going to no, no. right now. Yeah. When you thought you, okay, tell me this. When was the first time as a child, when was the moment, that you felt like I can play football and I want to do this professionally and I'm going to be good enough to go to Stanford and play at Stanford and go on to Tampa and be inducted eventually one day into two ring of honors, Tampa and De I mean that John, how many players in the NFL are inducted into two teams ring of honors? That, that is incredibly rare. Uh, it's pretty special. My mom, um, my mom will tell you, you know, I, th I think there was a great part of me and every young boy that wants to be like their dad. Uh, my dad was my hero. And uh, like I said earlier, you know, was drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, barely ever had a career. But in my mind, you know, he was mean Joe Green. And so hmm. that, I think, compelled me. I was a much more talented baseball player early on in life. But when everyone would say you ought to focus on baseball, which I played all the way up into the Marlins organization, um, there was something that always drove me to football. And I think that had a lot to do with it. I, I kind of wanted to make my dad proud, even though he wanted me to play baseball, <laughs> um, you know, so um, but I think that had a lot to do with it. So I guess way back to three years old. But, uh, you know, I I, I started uh, in 1993 on a bad team and, and really just trying to make teams make an impact that wasn't thinking of Canton. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of people who believed in me, maybe a little more than I believed in myself, who made me start to think that this someday could be possible. What if you had pursued a baseball career? How far could it have gone, John? I don't know. You know, I was, I was drafted fairly high. I was the second pick in the history of the Florida Marlins, uh, in 1992, Charles Johnson, the catcher, was the first pick. I was the second pick. I, you know, it was going all right. They were they were converting me. I was a kind of an outfielder, jack of all trades in baseball, but I threw hard and I had good movement on my fastball. They drafted me in the second round, and uh, you know, I kind of thought that's the direction I was going. And then, um, you know, my junior year, I switched from quarterback over to safety. Have a decent year in my junior year, but. 
baseball was really going better. So even though football was my passion, I thought, you know what, maybe, maybe uh, baseball is where my career lies. And, and then Bill Walsh comes in and I'll talk about him in the story and, and kind of how he compelled me to really pursue my passion in football. And, and thank God for that. But if it weren't for Bill Walsh, you might've gone to professional baseball as opposed to professional football. That's very true. And, and who knows where I'd be right now. I, I know I was playing minor league ball in Erie, Pennsylvania, and then Kane County, those are the two places uh, which was outside of uh, outside of Chicago and Illinois and uh, had a blast doing it. But I'm sure glad things worked out the other way. Unbelievable. And what a career. I mean, so, and you get to go from being a like I said, a 15 year player who goes to nine Pro Bowls, who wins a Super Bowl, two rings of honor. You become a broadcaster, you become a GM. Tougher to be a successful player or successful GM, John? You know, I, I think. uh I would say my natural instincts. Um, I think I had tremendous instincts for being a safety in the NFL. I found my home when I did that. Um, being a GM, I, you know, um, I think I have similar instincts, but um, I don't know. Play, I, I, being a GM at times is a little bit helpless feeling because come game time, I can't do a dang thing uh, in the game. I felt like I had a part in it now. So everything about this is helping lead and, 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 um, you know, uh, set a culture and, and maintain that culture and work with Kyle to always have that personnel. And so I love that. I love, I love, you know, leadership. I love trying to get the best out of people around me and hearing multiple opinions. Um, but I, I think probably intuitively being a player probably came easier. And what's the biggest difference in the game, John, from the time you played to the time that you now GM? Yeah, I, I think there, there will always be differences, um, you know, in, in football, um, even in my career, you know, you, you go through cycles where there's bigger backs and bigger receivers, the run and shoot comes around with June Jones, like in 1994, all of a sudden we get all these small little receivers and the defense kind of correspondingly reacts to that. Um, and all the safeties went from guys like myself and Atwater at 225 and you know, all of a sudden I, I moved myself down to 215 because I said this now is moving towards a game of speed and all that. So obviously we were allowed to hit people a little, little more aggressively. Those were just the rules back then. And so um, a lot of things you could do then that were legal would certainly not be legal. Um, a lot of people say, could you even have played? Of course I would have. I would have adjusted to the times. Um, but but I think what I focus on more, Adam, is is um, the things that never will change in this game. And that's that it's the ultimate team sport, that you're only as good as your weakest link. Um, the brotherhood that this game develops that will last a lifetime because it is tough. It's not for everyone. Those are the things that I um, lay hold to. Because So as much as it's changed, it, it still has principles that I think make it the greatest game around. You bring up the hits and the style of play changing through the years. And I remember being back in the Hall of Fame. It had to be six, seven, eight years ago. And they had me moderate a panel discussion on the weekend with some Hall of Famers. And one of them, it was the year that Chris Hamburger went in, the former Washington linebacker. And they were playing his highlight reel for 60 seconds. And every single one of the hits would have been a fine or a suspension <laughs> today. It was every single one. And that was a perfect example of how the game has changed and how it's much different watching him play. And you were that kind of player too. You were the hardest hitter in the league. Nobody wanted to go up against you guys. You were ferocious the way you played there, John. 
Yeah. And oddly enough, like even the perspective of players, like, you know, what, when I was playing, what was cheap, say a receiver's coming down the middle of the field. If you were to go back then, how the mindset has changed and probably in a good way back then, what was considered a cheap shot is if the receiver wasn't looking and you cut him low because you were going after his, what they called money makers, his legs. Um, they didn't, I mean, it was just understood that if you had a little, uh, contact up above, um, but now you'll see people do that and it's completely all right. So the mindset really has changed. I think that's smart. We're making a lot of, uh, of, of good adjustments to the game to keep people safe in the long term. Um, but it certainly is different. I mean, I, my, my senior year at Stanford, Ronnie Lott was around because Bill Walsh was our coach and I was new to the safety position. And Tom Homo, who, who is now the athletic director at, at uh, BYU, was Ronnie Lott's backup. So Ronnie used to come out to practice. And, and one day Tom asked if he'd spend some time with me. And he said, look, you have a knack for hitting. Your job in his, in his simplest form as a safety in, in, in the NFL, where I think you're going, is you let everybody on that field know that when they come in there in your area, they don't do so freely. <laughs> you know, they're going to pay a price. And that, that was like, all right, that's how you played the game then. And Ronnie was known as one of the greatest, um, but that's just the way the game was played. I think it's still like that, but you just can't do things that we were allowed to and, and we're just part of the game. You know, it's amazing all the people that you got to be around, all the great people going back to high school and Chris Chambliss, who hit one of the most famous home runs that I remember as a little boy growing up rooting for the Yankees when he beat the Kansas City Chiefs in a playoff game with a home run in the bottom of the ninth inning, if my memory serves me correctly. And then Bill Walsh and all the people in Tampa and Ronnie, like, John, you've been around some greatness. And let me make another prediction to you. When you do go to Ken and Kyle and the rest of the organization were right, you should have gone for the whole weekend like you're doing, and you should be taking it all in. They have at least what they used to have. I don't know if it's the same in these COVID times or anything like that, but they would have the Nitschke luncheon at a country club there where all the Hall of Famers are invited. Are they having that this year to your knowledge? Yeah, we're we're still having that. Okay. Do you know anything about that? Have you heard about that? I have heard about it. And and every Hall of Famer tells me, just wait. That's the it will be the most special moment of the whole deal. And I can't wait for it. Let me tell you something. Uh, for those who don't know, basically it's every Hall of Famer who's there, and they have a roast and welcome you to the Pro Football Hall of Fame before you're welcomed in. So it's every football great welcoming you in. And they don't let anybody in. Now they used to back in the day when I was the president of the pro football writers, I got to go to a few of those luncheons. Oh wow! And I remember the first one that I went to John, I walked out of there and I said to myself, that is the single coolest thing that I've ever been a part of in my entire life. Like I couldn't believe I'm watching Deacon Jones welcome Barry Sanders and making fun of these guys. And it was unbelievable. You are going to have the greatest luncheon that day. And that is going to make the weekend. And if you had stayed behind to be the GM of the Niners, a very important job, you would have missed that. And that would have been awful, John. Awful. You did the right thing. Yeah. Those guys were absolutely right. And I don't think the hall would have gone for me staying back anyway. So um, I'm glad we're going and uh, looking forward to it. But, you know, the question you asked initially, yes, my mind will be in a couple of places. It's been tough to get stuff done because this job just never stops. You know, um, this time of year, you're you're trying to build your roster and look at any weak holes, forecast what's going on around the league and um, just a lot going on. But you know what? These are these are uh, these are good problems to have. Before I let you go in relation to this current job, give me your assessment so far. I know it's only in camp. 
of what you've seen from your third overall pick, Trey Lance? He's looked tremendous. He really has. Uh, you know, I think what's been most impressive about Trey, everyone wants to talk about physical traits, but the way he approaches his job, he's a pro uh, in its truest sense. Uh, you know, he, during these 40 days, they're always a test. There's, there's 40 days that we're away from our players. And, uh, you know, I will tell you, like on the way to Canton, uh, those players are players that understand what you do on the time away. When, when you're at a facility, coaches are there to make sure that you're on point. And a lot of guys can do that, but it's, it's when you finish the season, whether it be at the end of the regular season or the end of the playoffs or the end of the Super Bowl, that time are where the great ones separate themselves. And I think we got a lot of guys who love football. We work hard to bring in the right type of guys. And uh, we've got a lot of guys who love the game that are willing to do uh, the necessary things to prepare. And I think uh, Trey really uh, is an embodiment of that. And uh, he's looking good on the field too. Um, the other good thing is that, you know, him being here, I think has brought the best out of Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy's a, uh, a big time competitor and uh, you know, we haven't played a game yet, but in practice in the off season and in practice and training camp thus far, he's playing his best football since he's been here and he's played a lot of good football. You just look at his record. And so um, people say, well, what do you do if they're both playing great? That's a great, another great problem to have. And, and we'll deal with that when it comes. Jimmy's best football since he's been there. Yeah, he really is playing at a high level. And, you know, I don't want to talk about it too much as, as I'm doing so in front of millions of people, but it, it, it's something everyone's recognizing. He's really playing at a high level and, and uh, that's the that's the type of competitor. That's what com competitors do when when they're challenged. Uh, they rise to the occasion. And, and I think he's doing a great job of that. Hey, John, I want to thank you very much for taking the time today. I want to congratulate you on going into a Hall of Fame. You needed more accomplishments to have people recognize the greatness that you've achieved throughout the course of your career. One more thing. It would be nice to see you get a 49er Super Bowl ring to complement all these other honors as well. Right. Well, that's the plan. <laughs> so we gotta, we're working hard towards that. John, really appreciate you. Thanks very much. Congratulations again. Enjoy Ken and try to forget the GM job for a few days. Uh, thanks a lot, Adam. I appreciate it. And so there is the great John Lynch, who I once worked with at NFL Network when he was launching his broadcasting career before he became part of Fox broadcast team as a great analyst before he decided to become the general manager of the 49ers. And it's very interesting when we look in the broadcasting world, sometimes the connections and ties that exist that some people know and some people don't. And an example of that is this past weekend. My great friend, my colleague, Marcus Spears, was watching the Olympic swimming competition. Very exciting. And he noticed the great work of NBC's play-by-play -play man, Dan Hicks, and the color commentator, Rowdy Gaines. And Marcus commented on, on Twitter and on social media, who's this great swimming announcer? To which Hannah Storm, another colleague of mine at ESPN, said, my husband. Marcus Spears had no idea that Dan Hicks, the great voice of NBC Sports, swimming, Olympics, golf, all sorts of events, is married to the great Hannah Storm. Both have had legendary, distinguished broadcasting careers. They worked together for 10 years at CNN, I believe it was, or maybe NBC, but 10 years together, working together, married together even longer than that. Marcus Spears has just learned this little factoid. So I'm glad that my friend now is in the know on the romantic relationships that exist within the broadcasting industry. Also want to begin looking ahead this week to my golf pool. It's back. After a week of the Olympics, 
We are back and we are ready to make another pick. For those who are paying attention, four weeks left in the golf pool. We've got four tournaments coming up. We've got Memphis. We've got Greensboro, North Carolina, the Northern Trust in Jersey City, and the BMW Championship in Caves Valley, Maryland. Got four weeks to capitalize on what has been a almost year-long obsession with this golf pool to try to bring this home. I don't know how much anybody cares, but I care a tremendous amount because it has overtaken my life and consumed my weekends. And I've watched almost every shot that every one of the golfers that I've picked in my weekly golf pool has hit each week. And I will be pulling for my golfer this week. All right, before we sign off on today's episode, let me quickly tell you about a brand new ESPN podcast, DC and RC, hosted by UFC legend Daniel Cormier and Super Bowl champion Ryan Clark. With new episodes every Wednesday and Thursday, DC and RC hang out and kick around the hottest topics from across the world of MMA. Be sure to follow DC and RC wherever you get your podcasts. Also, relive one of the greatest icons and most successful teams in sports history, Michael Jordan and the 97-98 Chicago Bulls. Stream the Emmy and NAACP Image Award winning series, The Last Dance on ESPN+. All right, I want to thank John Lynch, one of the newest members of the Pro Football Hall of Fame being inducted this weekend as we get ready to watch more football. I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting up with me and putting together another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in yet again. Please join us again next week when we'll be back. Hard Knocks is getting ready to air. We'll have more guests, more information, more insight. And until then, have a great week, everybody. Be well and stay safe.